The Athlete Handbook is here to provide you with insight and education as you navigate the sporting space. We hope you enjoy listening and adding another page to your book. Hello, Sally. Hi, Sinead. How are you? Good. Thanks for jumping on and joining us for another episode of The Athlete Handbook. Uh, I'm excited. Awesome. You're our first athlete interview for an athlete that's outside of West Week, so this is extra exciting for me. Oh, God, pressure. <laughs> I was going to say no pressure, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we'll deep dive with a few questions today to chat, but to start off, to give everybody a bit of a broad understanding of Sally, you are a teacher by trade. Yep. And then uh, you are an AFLW player. Well, you yeah. were an AFLW player. Um, yeah, I was, yes. Old and washed up and retired now. Mm. But, yeah, had a good, really, um, really good um, and exciting ups and downs, but spent five years in the AFLW system. So, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. So you started out playing for the Adelaide Crows? Yeah, so I was drafted in 2016 in the first ever AFLW draft. Yeah. Um, and then I was living in Darwin at the time. So with the female draft, it's state-based and Darwin was aligned to Adelaide. So lucky enough, I put in for Adelaide and they picked me. So spent, what did I do? Um, three years, three seasons with the Adelaide Crows and then went to the Gold Coast Suns Gold for Coast. two. Yeah, and am I right in saying you were a part of the leadership team up in Gold Coast as well? Yeah, yep. So it was Adelaide Crows, I was a vice captain. Um yep. and then same again actually in oh, cool. in the Gold Coast. Yeah. So it was it was pretty pretty cool. And now I look back, yeah, being in the leadership group when both of those teams were in their foundation years. So Gold Coast started in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. in my first year up there. So it was it was really good to I suppose have that impact and set those standards from yeah. the very start of the club. Yeah. Yeah. And leave probably a bit of a legacy for players coming through in time. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I hope, yeah, I hope it's still going well. I know speaking from obviously my experience in Adelaide, um, gone back there quite a few times and, you know, their team values and what they live by, their their brand um, that we created in season one exists today. So that's awesome. something really, really special where, you know, they've built their culture around those values that we had and just keep building on that. So, yeah, we're our inaugural team in 2017. We're pretty chuffed that that lives on. That is so cool in the sense of like building sustainability and legacy for sport that you've had that chance to have that impact. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and in fact, like I still look now and Adelaide is still one of the, you know, premiership favourites going into this year um, because of those foundations that we didn't take shortcuts we set the standards pretty high Um, but being a uh, I suppose a captain with Erin Phillips who's had that Mm. Olympic experience um, through her basketball that was something that yeah I think set Adelaide up really well but what she taught us and probably what we taught her as well um, just created that environment where you could be who you wanted to be but also um, you know, we'd pick up each other that, hey, yeah. that's probably not good enough. Let's, we need to lift our standard here. And um, as a team, that's why we had premiership success. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I actually think that's probably pretty fitting to bring it back around to your journey and pathway that's brought you now back to coaching 
um, back in your hometown of Ballarat with the Rebels at yep. the NAB League level. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's full circle. Um, when I did live here, obviously growing up in Ballarat, I moved in 2013, I think. So, you know, a lot has changed in the female mm sporting world let alone just in Ballarat so there was no I think there was a senior grade of footy when I left um locally potentially um yeah and then so I've gone for nine years basically traveling Australia um and to come back now having had those experience in three different states working with three different um academies so underage academies in the Northern Territory South Australia and Queensland to then finally come back and and do I suppose yeah, give back to the younger selves, like you know, the younger me. Yeah. I'm trying to say, who yeah. never had, who never had this. So yeah, yeah, I, I do, I pinch myself um, that I'm in the position now of head coach at the Rebels, and yeah, it's awesome. It is, and as you said, it's really full circle for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so before we jump in further, I like to take it back. Um in the sense of what is your earliest memory of sport in general? It doesn't have to be footy. I like to go back, like, as far as you can remember, what was your earliest yeah. memory of sport? Um, definitely winding back the clock to our backyard in, in Buninyong, living in Ballarat. Um, grew up on about 100 acres, um, and Dad's a spud farmer at, at my grandparents' property. But being that outdoorsy kid who me and my siblings were always outside, um, whether it was backyard soccer, cricket, you know, footy, that's my earliest memories of of sport. I think once you get to primary school, and I remember having the like, the coolest PE teacher ever, and I was just like, what? You get to come to school and play sport, um, and then we'd just take that home. You know, the games that we learnt in PE, let's play that in the backyard, and and mum was, come on, tea's ready, hurry up, you yep. three, and you know, we had one more innings to play of yeah. cricket, or it's a draw, mum, we've got to see who wins, so. Um, which, again, full circle stuff that my earliest memories are, kicking the footy um, with my brother and sister in the backyard. And we just made a – it was like an L-shaped footy oval. The chook shed would go was at one end and, you know, <laughs> the cubby house at the other end. It yeah. was – and that's – again, I think that's why I ended up where I ended up because my yeah. fundamental skills were, were quite good. All of that yeah. practice in the backyard and we were just having fun – and we yep. had each other challenges of, you know, kick to kick. And if you dropped it, you lost a point. And, yep. you know, that, yeah, a lot of, um, I think a lot of people in the system now, in the AFLW system, probably didn't grow up with football because it wasn't a thing. Whereas, you know, country Vic, it's it's what you do. So I was pretty lucky that that early development. Um, but that's definitely my earliest memory of kicking the footy in the backyard, I reckon. I reckon it's cool how you say like you used different parts of the farmer's landmarks to mark out whatever sport you're playing. And I think that like in a bigger picture probably leads to that skill of adaptability, which I reckon through your career helped you tremendously. Yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think probably nearly everyone listening to this podcast will think back to some kind of backyard game where you've... Yeah. You've had to adapt, like playing cricket. We couldn't kick it in. Oh, sorry, hit it into mum's rose bushes. Like that was out of bounds. And <laughs> yeah, because yeah. as well as like different areas or different spaces that you had to adjust to, there was also rules like <laughs> <laughs> off bounds, not near the washing line. <laughs> yeah, 
But the probably the funniest thing was like, yeah, we had a hundred acres, yet the best cricket pitch was this tiny little concrete section right out the back door of you know the windows, the garden. But yep. <laughs> that was just that was the best spot. <laughs> yeah, always the way. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to hear. Um, really starting that that grassroots, like starting out playing with your siblings out in the backyard. Then did you progress on to just playing um, sport locally as a kid? Yeah, so um, netball, we started, oh, I think I was probably eight years old, started playing netball um, in Lamberis here at Ballarat and just loved it, loved that team aspect. You know, we, we look forward to that every weekend and then through school sport as well. So once you got that sense of community and a team sport, um, I never – did any individual sports um, probably because I never excelled in anything <laughs> but I just love that community around a team so netball was my sport of choice growing up played a bit of tennis in the summer yep um, which again love my tennis and um, yeah in terms of football it was Auskick that was it yeah so a little bit of Auskick in primary school and yeah just grew up with the netball circles until I moved to Darwin where there was that opportunity to play um, both football and netball. So you went on to play netball locally for Redan? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah. you're playing, so pretty well, you stayed in Ballarat till you finished your studies? Yeah. Yep. Playing netball at the same time? Yeah. So I went to uni here in Ballarat and then did yep. teaching. So yeah, right up until the age of 22, whenever yep. you are, when you graduate uni. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, played with Redan. We won our senior premiership in 2020. No, actually, 2011. <laughs> I was like, hang on a minute. That's a, God, that's a while ago now. Yeah, yeah. I, I was 21 and <laughs> yep. we won the A-grade premiership then. Um, and that was when the, the following year I graduated and moved into state. So yep. still still played netball in a different state. Um, but, yeah, no no football in Victoria other than school footy. Yeah, cool. So was your first move straight up to Darwin? Ah, uh, Catherine in the end. Oh, my NT. goodness. <laughs> yeah, I had to Google map where it was and I was I was shattered because I'm thinking, does this mean there's no more netball? Yeah. Um, but as you know, with, with all your athletes, that sports just – Australians love sport. So yeah, wherever so you go, no matter what, whether it's a tiny town, there's maybe not as many opportunities, but I was stoked. We had a, had a netball team up there, the – um, local team was Catherine Camels, so that was an experience. <laughs> How cool! Yeah, it was great. They had a footy team as well, like a men's footy team. But yep. yeah, home so away you, home. Um, so you moved up there initially to teach. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I was just at the local high school there teaching PE. Um, had obviously at this stage there was no pathway for female footy. Um, so yeah, didn't have any plans or dreams I suppose to make AFLW because yep. it wasn't wasn't a thing so yeah but I loved I loved the culture up there and I suppose when it did become reality when Gil McLaughlin said all right we'll have a women's league in 2017 that's when um I suppose I took my I joined a local team in Darwin yep. um so then moved to Darwin to um, cancel out the three-hour travel each way yeah um to play and yeah I got myself really fit and decided this is pretty cool. I would kick myself if I didn't have a go at yep. potentially being drafted. So then it just snowballed from there. Yeah, cool. Um, a little bit off topic, but like 
pretty cool at the same time. I was listening to a podcast by Abby Holmes the other day. Yeah. And she was – so did you play with her prior to the draft? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, is this oh, – no, I played against her, I should say. Oh. <laughs> um, because was that the Dill Buckley podcast with her? Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, that, that's a really good listen, actually. So, yeah. yeah, I do. I personally know Abby and she played for Waratahs and I played for Tracy Village. Yep. And I don't know whether she says it in the podcast, but it was pretty funny because she thought she kicked her 100th goal and they all celebrated, but then it was a free kick. So she, she had did to it. do it again. And that's hilarious because I was like so ingrained in this story. Like it was, and that's what I was going to ask you, what was your part in and how well did you know about that whole kind of campaign that she was leading to kick the 100 goals? But that's funny that the 100th goal was a free kick. Yeah. So it was against us. And she was miles ahead of everybody else. Yeah. So they were a very strong team um, and up there like, you know, and in those days if you had maybe – three or four players who knew what they were doing, essentially you'd win the flag. Um, yeah. But now the depth around Australia is so much more yeah. than that. Um, but, yeah, Waratahs were a very strong footy club. Um, and this is all this all happened before, you know, we even had set our sights on AFLW and knew that we'd potentially be teammates. So, yeah, but I played, played the first two seasons. I think Abby played two years at the Crows. So yeah. we won the flag together as well. And obviously it's been a good grounding for her. Um, career commentary yeah. and, and media now just those steps of maybe moving out of her comfort zone to move to Darwin um, yeah to end up where she is now yeah 100% um, but that's pretty cool to know like that story I'm sure any well I can just recommend any listeners of people listening to this conversation now to go and give that podcast episode a listen um, because it, it does detail kind of the campaign that Abby put together to try and lead movement in AFLW, well, the creation of the draft in the AFLW and push, I think, bringing it forward um, and getting girls drafted. It's kind of like what the Matildas have done in this World Cup campaign. But um, so you played for a few years in Darwin before the draft? Yep. Yeah. So we played a couple of state games as well yeah so just locally up there that there was an nt thunder team um and we come down played against victoria and got absolutely smoked unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) but that was pretty cool i think we played tasmania as well so that was probably around 2015 um and that was i suppose as high level as you could get yeah okay yeah and so from there it's really cool how you were saying that um the Adelaide Crows or South Australia and the Northern Territory partnered um, in regards to their licence for an AFLW team, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So in the inaugural year, there were only eight AFL clubs who had teams. So it was really important um, that the AFL, I suppose, could give licences to the clubs that could manage it and that come down to facilities, it come down to, you know, talent and player yep. depth um, and resources, et cetera. So that's where NT, you know, don't have enough at, at the time now or back then and now to have a team of their own. Um, and back then neither did South Australia. So that was a way of, I suppose, making a bit of a Central Australia team um, to give those girls, especially in the NT, a realistic like goal that they can achieve. Um, so, yeah, I was very grateful that that, mm. that happened because then automatically the Adelaide Crows were like, right, you know, invested in the NT, what's the talent up there? 
Um, and again, we we see now though, I suppose, if I look at it now, South Australia and especially in the underage, you know, nationals at the moment, South Australia are so strong now mm. because you know they've got that depth. They're running some good academies down there um and at the moment they they haven't lost a nationals game at under 18 wow. level with the girls so they won it last year and they might win it this year which is pretty funny considering in 2016 it was like SA don't have the depth for a football team of their own um yeah yeah so that's just a bit of an insight and I guess how far it has grown in a small through, period of time yeah yeah just these young athletes going well hey I want to I want to be an AFLW player and they're putting the work in in their teenage years to yeah play the best they can be and get drafted. Well, that it's probably really fitting to say that having had a really successful Adelaide Crows team for the past few years in the <laughs> AFLW has helped. Well, it's it's in the sense of like yeah. that team is there. Like you, if you can see it, like if it's role modelled, that's probably really good. Um, I love hearing the journey you as a team went through in that inaugural year um, for Adelaide. Do you want to delve in a little deeper on what the weekly schedule looks like? <laughs> yeah, God. I look back now and think, how did we do that? So, yeah, to give everyone a bit of an insight is, so it's 2016 and the draft has, has uh, you know, been and gone um, and we've got our list. So of the 27 players, 10 of us, I believe, were based in Darwin. So half the team were training in Adelaide and half in Darwin. So you think, how on earth do you get together on game day and combine? So everyone everyone was giving us no chance of winning a game, let alone the premiership. But we put that, again, down to the, the leadership group and the amount of effort that we would put in a, as a squad um, to make that effort that when you fly in the day before a game, as a Darwin person, I'm not chatting to my Darwin mates. I've got to get to know my my Adelaide teammates. Um, so we made that extra effort to really connect when we could because it was so limited. So, yeah, I think we had one pre-season camp and then we're flying in, you know, the day before a game. Being a teacher, it was work till, you know, our flight. I'd be doing schoolwork on the plane. Um, then we fly in for the game and then fly straight back and then it was back to school on the Monday. Monday. So pretty hectic times, um, but that's what made it really special that we played. The season was eight weeks long and we played one game in Darwin. So for seven weeks you're flying the four-hour flight there and back, you know, trying to connect with your teammates as much as you can off-field to then connect on the field. So it's just crazy to think. and takes me back just how busy yeah. busy we all were but especially living in Darwin and it was something like I think we'd flown nearly 50,000 kilometres in the air um in that time in in the lead up to that that grand final which was yep. just crazy <laughs> yeah I can like just the logistics alone and then adding your training in adding the playing yep. in the stress on your body but work like it's just it's awesome awesome yeah. achievement um, and I reckon that probably really just, I think it obviously brought you together so much more because you were going through such a unique experience at the time. But how did it then feel when you qualified for the grand final? Yeah. And then how did it feel when you <laughs> won the grand final? Oh, I think the, the first um, 
back then and and we still are now but we were so grateful for everything like every mm. we we just couldn't believe that hang on yes we weren't paid much at all but being paid to play sport was like mm-hmm. oh my god you know I, what do you mean I get a free backpack and I don't have to pay for flights like that was just it was crazy to think yeah this was me and I was getting paid to do something that I love um yeah. so that was the first like how good's this moment and our very first game we played at in Adelaide and we won against GWS and we were just how good is this even in our heads we're like this might be the only game we win like this is awesome and then it was round two and we beat Western Bulldogs in Melbourne so then we're thinking oh god can't believe how do we just do that like we are the underdogs here we literally meet each other on game day and play and we've knocked off one of the powerhouse Mm. clubs in Melbourne but then the belief kicked in and it was like oh hang on well if we've beaten the Bulldogs why can't we beat everybody else yeah um, and we did lose a couple of the, like we lost to Brisbane in the in the season, and then that's who yeah. we played in the grand final. So I'll never forget as well leading into that grand final. It was played in Queensland. How it worked then was if you finish on the top of the ladder, you got the home final. And Adele was playing on the Gabba, so we couldn't have it at the Gabba, so we played at Gold Coast ground. Um, so of course we've flown in from Darwin, the rest of the team from Adelaide. We've, we flew in a couple of days earlier, um, just to soak it up and feel that connection. Like it was the little things that I remember where, you know, we're sitting around and a couple of girls could play the guitar and we just, you know, that connection where you go, this is unreal. We're so relaxed, which is crazy. Um, because we knew we had nothing to lose. We're the underdogs. Absolutely nothing to lose. I think Beck got out our coach. I think we went to the movies the day before because we had to be off our legs. Like we just spent quality time together. And then in the grand final, like winning it, it was just, it was crazy just to think, oh, my God, someone had to win and we've won. And just when that siren went, it was, it was, I don't even know how to describe it still. Um, Surreal. Yeah. It's like, what? And I'm. I've said this to you before, but I felt like a bit of a fraud. I was like, how have I got this premiership medal when this has all happened so quickly? Like mm. having never virtually stepped in, in in a gym or had a football coach prior to this season and within the last, you know, five months between getting drafted to preseason to playing the season, it was over in the blink of an eye um, yeah. and we'd won an AFLW premiership. But, yeah, someone had to win and it was the mighty underdogs. I'd like crazy. I think it's pretty fair to say, like, you put the work in yeah, every single week too. Like, yeah, I know you sit there and go, yeah, but, like, I felt like a fraud. Yeah, but, like, I, as an observer, I'm like, yeah, but you showed up. Like, you yeah. put the work in. Like, yeah, yeah you well and truly deserve that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, To switch it up, I'm going to throw a little spanner in the works question. Yeah. We were, that's a it's such a great feeling that chat to have with you but what memory from your time may not necessarily be um through your time it might be earlier in your um sports career even as a junior but what memory stings the most for you through your journey um so obviously like there's the highs of winning a premiership yeah. but what what was a stinging low point that taught you a lot I, to be honest, had a lot of those moments. Um, I think everyone, you know, you see all the glamorous and the good sides of 
the results or you know mm-hmm. the the fun stuff of um, being an athlete but it's yes the work that goes on behind and I know like we were all so driven like I said before I, like, I don't know how I did it but I didn't question it I was like well I've got to do these gym sessions I've got to do this I've got to tick all these boxes you know eat well make sure my school's good um you know you just you did what you you had to because you loved it and yeah. it was I was so motivated so considering I did that throughout my whole five-year career um I think what probably stings the most is um I suppose there's aspects of sometimes it can be pretty lonely um yeah. when yes you're a part of a team but I know for me personally I lived in three different states starting again um there were times when there was a loss um you know who do you go to yes you're around a lot of people but I didn't have any significant other or, or family around um and then there's times where obviously selection didn't fall my way so yeah there was lots of God, I only played 23 games, I think, over five seasons, which, yes, they're only eight games long. But, again, you do the maths. There was a lot of times where I was told, sorry, you're not, you're essentially not good enough this week. Um, so I guess in that part, the biggest stinger was the emergency position I was in for the 2019 AFL Grand Final, um, just being so close yet yeah. so far. And for and me, it was self-belief where I go, God, if I only other believed in myself, I'd be yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, probably hurt more because you knew what you were missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. It's not like you hadn't made it before and you were still going to yeah. experience it. It was like, yeah, ow. <laughs> yeah. That hurts. And I was being emergency, you know, you do everything in the lead up, the team meetings, you're in the rooms underneath, I'm, I'm dressed in – you know the premiership uniform um and then the old tap on the shoulder not no one's injured there's there's your seat up in the stand off you go so um which was yeah devastating and I think more so that I just it was on myself really because I knew I was good enough to be in there like had the skill had the work rate I just didn't have the the mental belief in myself to perform when it when it counted and the week before you know um I'll never forget I think it was um Geelong we might have played and we won by about 60 points so that reality yeah. of like they're not making any changes to this team <laughs> like yeah. I've missed the prelim they're not they're not yeah. changing it so um that probably hurt the most and yeah but I suppose once they won the grand final we were out there celebrating and you know even now I I could tell you I've won two flags. No one would know, but <laughs> I know deep exactly. down I did not win a second one. Um, but, yeah, and I guess when we talk about the full circle, that has made me a much better coach now from being yeah. that, I suppose, that fringe player in and out, um, yeah, and to experience the lows because it's not, it's not all good. Yeah, I was actually just about to say that. So I have a question here about what would you go back and tell yourself. But I actually think that must have given you such great foundations to now go and coach and understand first. Like you've got to be on the other end of that news now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's me delivering those messages, even as part of the Rebel squad. Like we've got, you know, 35 girls training and we pick 22 each week. Mm. Um, And there's weeks where we might have one or two injuries. So, yeah, unfortunately – as you do get to that elite level and that higher end of, of the talent pathways, it's pretty brutal. 
yeah. and I think my biggest advice to I guess you question that you're going to ask is just not to worry like I look back and I go god I worried about that ground ball that I missed or I dropped that mark and the coaches have moved on everyone else has moved on yet I'm still thinking about that moment you know five minutes ago it's like yeah. whatever um and playing with the likes of Chelsea Randall and Aaron Phillips like they make just as many mistakes but yeah. they get on with it they've just got an incredible like that's why they're champions they're their mind and their competitiveness is like, oh, well, who cares? I'll get the next one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if I could go back in time, that would have been really helpful, but yeah. it helps. And my Rebels girls, they're sick of me saying that. Like, just don't worry about it. I'll never yell at you for making a mistake. Just don't. It's easy said than done, as we know. Yeah, of course. From experience. But, yeah, it is that that part of it that I really learnt. And I've probably been told some messages in the past of, you know, probably been told I'm not playing and it hasn't been dealt with really well yeah so I've gone right when I'm a coach I won't deliver that message like that um so yeah so I hope I hope the Rebels girls you know as much as I have to give them bad news but they know it's you know genuine feedback to make them better and and they understand so yeah definitely yeah I reckon from like listening to your story there, it's in the sense of you took so much away from your experience, your like how things were communicated to you and have really made that your own now, like you've got that opportunity to give it back on the other hand, that you've kind of tailored it to like the experience that you would have, you know, if you could go back and relive it, that's the way you would have liked it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And um. And again, as a, as a coach, you make just as many mistakes as the players. You know, we're, we're all we're all human, and um, you know, if we lose a game, I'm thinking about the game just as much as they are. But yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I'm just I'm actually so grateful now to be sitting here and having had those those I guess shutdowns at the time yep. for how much it it's made me a better person, better coach. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, communication I've learnt with, but even, you know, what to say when other people don't make it. Um, you know, even even that side of sport that you've got a teammate or a friend who's who's injured or who's been not selected, and you're the one who's made it every week. Like you've never gone through that. You know, it was interesting. Some players would be like, I didn't really know what to say to you when you were dropped because I, yeah, I just felt awkward. And I'm like, well, I'm still a person. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to tiptoe around me because. I'm I'm not playing so even that side of things um, I educate my girls on that on how to deal with selection just as much as how to deal with non-selection that's yeah. a really good a really good skill because it just builds that level of awareness more I reckon within a team environment for for athletes too but by the sounds like you just made sure that every opportunity that you were given if it wasn't a win you learnt from it like you and you've taken that forward with you through yeah. your pathway. Yeah. And I honestly believe, um, I guess, so I wasn't the most flashiest player or the quickest player or, you know, you'd never see me taking speckies or mm. anything like that. I wish I could, but um, <laughs> it's, I guess, that off-field stuff. And, again, your character, like a lot of coaches, you know, would be telling your athletes the same thing. Like if you can make sure that, hey, at the end of the day, if you've done everything possible in your control to be the best athlete and person that you can be and have a great attitude when you're knocked down, then, you know, 
people are going to want you around as well. So five years on an AFLW list, I think it was my character and my leadership that, you know, I just, I didn't want to waste a moment there. I was like, I'm not going to have a grudge and mope around the club. I'd be have impact. Yeah, I'd be dropped and like, all right, well, I've got to empower others now. I can't have control on game day where they can. So, yeah. um, and that's yeah, I think that's probably why I I was on the list for so long. Um, because I could still contribute even though maybe not on the score sheet or the stats. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome learning from that time mm. too. We've delved in. We've chatted about your journey through um through sport through the aflw i'm keen to know like you're obviously really enjoying your role now um with rebels and i'm keen to know what does good look like for you across the next few years in sport life in coaching in your role what are you looking forward to the most well um a lot, and you know, people think you've got me on a good day. <laughs> no, no. Um, I just think you know it's we've had a rough few years, um, mm. and I just think God, if if we can survive that and still, you know, again, we look at the Matildas this week. Like mm. anything is possible, no matter who you are, what athlete you are, what sport you are, or what you're playing. Um, that. There is. There's always something to look forward to. And I think from my perspective of my role is I just want people to have fun playing their sport. Um, again, it's obviously that underage level of development that, yes, I'm a stepping stone to hopefully get drafted. But reality is, you know, in the in our whole western region of Victoria, we might not have any draftees this year. Um, yeah. And in today, that's that's also okay. You know, we might have some outstanding graduates from Rebels who end up being Hall of Famers in the local league. You know, that's, I think, what I think I'm really looking forward to is just having an impact in my athletes um, that they're, in, they're, one, choosing to play my favourite sport, football, yeah. um, and it's it's a big part of their lives, whether it's meeting new people, you know, winning premierships or just staying active being the best they could be in regional Victoria or going, no, I'm really going to use this elite pathway program. I'm, I want to make it to the top. Um, and that's, that's what I try and instill all the time. Everyone's different. Everyone's got yeah. a different goal. Um, so yeah, I think our program, hopefully what I would, would be good in the next few years would be for us to, yeah, obviously extend our depth in the region um, you know, we've got a heap of vulnerable girls at the moment on our on our list. And looking at the under sixteens and fifteens coming through, you're like, hey, it's oh, yeah. really taking off. Yeah, that gets yeah. me excited. So if I can play a part in that, um, yeah, but it's also, you know, life's about that balance. Having mm. having your work and your job, but then spending quality time with with family and friends. So um, yeah, for the next few years, hopefully I'm settled back down in Ballarat. So <laughs> it's actually, I was regretting it at first. But yeah. Yeah. I think if I can have a small little impact back here, you know, in other coaches or other players um, yeah. to love their sport and, and yeah, I suppose be the best that they can be, then that makes me pretty happy. 
That's pretty cool. <laughs> I reckon that's all I've said this podcast is. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I and I really tee on the point that you made about having fun and trying to instill that through um, through your coaching and having impact on other people in whatever capacity that looks like, as you said. Um, so long as people, like particularly female athletes, are enjoying what they're doing and staying active is just a win in itself, I think, whatever level that is at, whatever sport it's in, I think that's the win sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And just the, like I said before, the friendships, the connections that mm. you make that, you know, you're a long time retired, um, as I suppose I found out through football, but, you know, <laughs> even just to keep connected, whether it's a, an admin role in sport or, you know, yeah. cutting the oranges. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's such a, a it's good a, platform. Yeah, it's a connection. It's it's a community around you. It's an escape from the day-to-day sometimes. It's a really integral part. Yeah, yeah, and that's, um, yeah, that's what I love, loved about being an athlete. I suppose mm. I still am, still playing netball. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as serious as I used to be, but, um, yeah, it's just awesome. And being back here in Ballarat and back in Western Vic, it's, it's pretty cool to see how far things have come since I've gone. Yeah, for sure. Well, that rounds us out with our questions. Um, I just want to say thank you for jumping on and sharing your journey and your story and then sharing in further on the work you're doing at the moment. It's really exciting. Um, We're really glad to have you as a bit of a – or a big part of the Westwick Network now, I guess, too. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, thank you. No, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't too boring. (laughs) No, not at all. Let me just make sure I press uh, stop recording. And then you go, oh, oh, did I press stop? Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Athlete Handbook. This podcast is brought to you by the Westwick Academy of Sport. It was recorded in Ballarat on the land of the Wadawurrung and Jarjarog people. And we would like to recognise their continuing connection to the land and waterways.